Yes, you are. Aren't you lucky? It's John Curley, Sherry Elliker Show, starring Sherry Elliker. Yeah. You know it, girl. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I went from being a woman to strong, a bad girl. Right? Strong, strong woman strong, to a bad, bad. girl. Yes, I'm going to take a bad girl. I like that. There better. we go. Bad, bad, strong, strong girl. DJ Andrew, get a transfer. Got to get out of this. You got to get. You got to get out of this one. We got to get over to. Uh... Oh boy. <laughs> you okay, Mike? Yeah, man. Mike Rohrbach, he was the uh, chaplain for the uh, UW for a long time. A lot of different athletes sat in with him, heard him speak, read from the Bible. They meet with him privately about different issues. He's always there, never gave up. God's got a hand in everything. So the, we hey, brought man. you on. We brought you on, Mike Rohrbach, number 54 <laughs> in the program, number one in your heart. Some solace for all the um, Husky fans that are feeling like maybe God forgot about him yesterday, especially in the first half. <laughs> what do you What do you say, Mike Rohrbach, to everybody out there that's feeling the pain? Hey, you know what, man? You cannot win them all, and I think what we have to celebrate is an amazing season with 14 wins. And unfortunately, uh-huh. we met our match uh, last night for the national championship. I don't know. I think it started with what they called the icy white uniforms. And uh, Panic was stone cold last night. He, he just was not on his game. That hurt us. Um, mm. Michigan's running backs went crazy. The one dude, Donovan Edwards, was hurt all year. He, he has two long touchdown runs. So uh, I think the better, more balanced team won. And that's hard to say. But, you know, I woke up this morning and the sun came out. And it's a great day to be alive. And... Again, you don't always win them all, but I think the Huskies put forth a great effort, and uh, they should be nothing but proud of the season that they uh, just put together for all of us to enjoy. Again, a bit of I'm heartbreak. Sad. Hold on, hold on. Lie. I know. Yeah. yeah, I know. You're not. Let me just play this one little piece of it. Hold it on. was a glass case of emotion inside Alaska Airlines Arena. As thousands of fans cheered on the dogs one final time. But as the game drew to a close. I'm proud of everybody that played. And this is like the best we could have wished for to get all the way to the national championship. The harsh reality sets in. So, Mike, you you saw the, I mean, you probably saw the photo of the athletes sitting there, the Huskies players, all, most of them probably crying. Their hands were covering their faces. Their heads were down. You, you when you, as a, chaplain there for the Huskies and for the other athletes at the UW for all those years when they would come to you and talk to you about this other than you can't win them all did you have anything else to sort of put some sort of salve on the wound of of uh of a loss or failure well you know um having gone through both I mean I experienced both and uh 
I always just try to remind guys, man, that, uh, you know, one game, the outcome of one game does not define who you are as an individual, as an athlete, as a believer, you know, whatever. And, uh, yeah, I mean, and that probably didn't bring a lot of comfort, but that's the best I had, you know, um, Things don't always work out. Life is tough. Life is a tough long-distance marathon, and sometimes we get knocked down. And uh, I just was proud of the fact that we fought till the end, and, uh, you know, it wasn't enough, unfortunately, on that night. And those guys, uh, they'll look back on that and probably think, you know, what if? You know, what if that pass to Dunze had been more on target and we score there? And just mm-hmm. different things, you know? Uh, yeah. But. You, you you can't do that, and I'm I remember man crying tears of joy in '78 when we beat Michigan in the Rose Bowl, and I had trouble taking my uniform off because I knew I'd never play again, and I loved the game, and uh, that's just something else you just remind the guys of. You've been able to be a part of something at a very high level that very few people get to experience, man, and just soak that all in and enjoy it. And uh, at the end of the day, there's always, at the end of every season, no matter what the sport, there's only one team left standing. And unfortunately, last night it was Michigan. But my hat's off to them, man. They deserved it. They they won the game. Their defense attacked us. Uh, their defensive backs played aggressive, and the refs let them do that, and they knew that. And so that's how they played. Yeah. So we met our match. But I'm confident Coach DeBoer will rally the guys and uh, they'll put a, a great team out there again next year. I mean, I think of Penix, he played in 22 Husky games. I think it is. He won 21 of them and uh, lost the final one. I mean, it's been a great run for a great kid and a great group of student athletes. Sure. you have a question for, uh, for Mike Rohrbach, our minister today? Yeah. Yes. Uh, yes. Oh, are here we you go. going to? Oh, so boy. I know most <laughs> most uh, uh, big sports fans have superstitions. They do certain things and hope that that will affect the outcome of the game. Did you have any superstitions going into this? And is that superstition going to go out the window now that that Ooh. it hasn't been the right outcome? Uh, no, I, I wasn't a guy who had a lot of superstitions. Although I, you know, I like to have my socks a certain way and this and that and just you know, go out there and perform at a high level and, and try to fly around and hit people. But uh, I think a lot of athletes do have superstitions. And, you know, it's yeah. whether they, you know, they don't wash their undershirt or whatever. I don't yeah. think that has anything to do with anything. At the end of the day, it's who, who goes out there and executes the best. And uh, it was clear that Michigan was that team last night, Sherry. But, uh, you know, some of those superstitions are fun and guys do different things. And, you know, the Huskies, we had our little chant in the the tunnel going out and Mm -hmm. we bark at them and all that, like we talked about yesterday. And those are all fun (laughs) things and those never go away. I still reminisce about those with the guys I played with. And, and, you know, for 17 years, I was blessed to be the team chaplain and hopefully encourage the hearts of the guys win, lose, or draw, and just let them know they were loved and appreciated mm-hmm. and valued. And uh, so there you go. Talk with, talk with Mike Rohrbach, uh, former chaplain, number 54 there, playing for the Huskies, playing the Rose Bowl, now running a run-to-win organization, he and his daughter and his wife, lovely wife, great group. Mike, will you just, before we say goodbye, will you share an interesting story 
your it, Sports Illustrated has you as the first athlete to pray publicly at a football game. I don't know if that's actually true, but it's a, a great story. It was you. It was the Huskies playing Stanford. And yeah. You, yeah. you confuse the, the, the TV announcers. They weren't sure what was happening in the end zone. <laughs> yeah, it's a great story, John. Uh, so 1975, a bunch of student-athletes from the different schools up and down the coast were together at a Fellowship of Christian Athletes camp, and we were huddle leaders for the high school kids. And uh, we got pretty close to a number of the Stanford players and stuff. And so one of the Stanford guys said, hey, we play you guys up in Husky Stadium this year after the game. Maybe we could just meet in the end zone and, and kind of reconnect. And so – uh, in that game, uh, Stanford beat us, um, and it was kind of cool. I had the only touchdown in my life, so I scored. And then uh, after the game, we met in the end zone, and one of the Stanford guys goes, hey, man, why don't we just kneel for a word of prayer? And so we knelt down and prayed, and uh, I think Wayne Cody or something had the radio call, and he's like, it looks like one of the players has lost his contact lens. There's a group of athletes kneeling in the end zone and we were in fact uh, praying and later the times did an article talking about my two trips to the end zone one to score a touchdown and one to pray and that kind of went nationwide and i don't know if it was actually the very first time a group of athletes nelton did that but it was for sure one of the early times that that happened and man i i will cherish that memory forever so you know, and uh, somebody once said this, you know, God probably at the end of the day doesn't really care who won or lost the game, but he loves the players. He loves there the coach. He loves us all. And so, you know, there's comfort in that. And they did their best. Yeah. And last night it wasn't good enough. Thank you, Mike Rohrbach. There we go. Thank you, man. Love you, bro. All right, my friend. Love you, too. There he goes. Hopefully everybody feels a little better. Sherry, you all right now? I just, yeah, I had a hard time getting it together to compose <laughs> myself, but uh, yeah, I, I got to move on. Got to move. As our on. high school football coach used to say, "There's more, there's more education in a loss than there is in a win." And ladies, he calls ladies, ladies, you're going to be going to graduate school because you all suck. Let's get out there and learn about losing. All right? Here we go! <laughs> now, are, are you a drum major? Are you a drum major or are you a cheerleader there? I was having a stroke. Sorry about that, Sherry. <laughs> <laughs> Much more plausible explanation. <laughs> oh boy all right uh, tough for the huskies but you know here's the good the good stuff that happens from this is it puts you on a national stage so when it comes to recruiting you can say guys you saw us we were out there you see what we're trying to do but so it really helps because now they start to call some of these high school players and say hey listen how about coming here university of washington you can do this and do that and do this this coach is now understood as being an amazing coach turning the team around and it does make it much easier for them to be able to pick off some of those guys to be able to build those teams um you know and then also you know somebody off in the south always winning so michigan getting back in there and then maybe uh, the huskies pick up a couple of real stars and they can uh, help them grow as athletes and uh, as men as well uh let's see hmm. oh washington state patrol 
issuing a report explaining that they made a few try who wrote in this try no arrest after protests that block uh, the i-5 for hours on end they so they haven't gotten anybody they got 12 cars were left behind i'm sure the people who own those cars most likely the parents like hey where's my car um they had to tow the cars off so we assume they would probably be able to just track those people to the cars that were left behind but still at this point they haven't made any arrests don't plan on them probably making arrests they arrested a thousand of a thousand people that were protesting in new york city they got 300 of them but in seattle they didn't get any of them i think they got eight of them and yeah because they did something they had something called a sleeping dragon device which is very very hard to cut through i'm not sure how they attach themselves to it but oh i know what it is it's a chain and then you piece of uh pvc pipe put your hands across chain them up chains inside and then you put the pvc in there so that it's really hard to cut through you can't quite see where the chain is where the human hands are so they they lock them themselves all together with that but so anyway. eight people did that and they had to call in the cut team didn't know there was yes. a cut team mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. undo them and when they were released they got arrested um, but okay. that's that's it. Other than that, the, what the police said, they said they had uh, received on Friday night a single unverified report about this activity that would happen on Saturday, and they couldn't substantiate the report. Therefore, they didn't have people at the ready when this all went down. So they're saying, you know, that they didn't want to uh, – they were afraid that if they went in there with – Guns ablazing, or it made a big effort that it no. would turn violent. Hmm. Well, in the state of Washington, the Supreme Court ruled five four in the uh, Sanza S A N Z A. I think it was it um, ruling that uh, sheriffs don't need to ask for permission to use tear gas to dispense a crowd that be- turns into a riot trying to maintain the peace. They said, you know, a lot of these sheriffs in other areas, you don't have to call up the line. You can make the decision on your own. Now, Seattle doesn't allow them to do this. Prior to 2017, or maybe 2017, police departments from around the United States used to come to Seattle to learn about how well we did when it came to crowd control and dispersing crowd and stopping riots and allowing protests to be peaceful. There were cities were coming. Arizona came. I think uh, Philadelphia might have come as well. Others were learning from us because we really blew it in 1999 with the World Trade Center when we uh, our World yeah, Trade Organization had the riots that had occurred. So then we started figuring out, okay, how do they do it? So the Seattle learned the police would move you along. They would stop the groups. You've you got to keep the group moving. You can't let them break off into separate things. So they really learned how to control these groups. And part of it was, well, you also had the ability to use tear grass because you're never going to have you have a 1,000 protesters. You're never going to have a 1,000 cops. You're going to have a 1,000 or 2,000 protesters. You're going to have probably 60, 70, maybe 80 cops or something. So you use the tear gas. You say, hey, everybody, back up. Get out, get out, get out. We're going to disperse tear gas. Get out there. Break it up, break it up, break it up. Give them plenty of warning, and then you shoot that stuff in there, and then the crowd breaks apart. They don't do that in Seattle. The crowd knows this. The protesters know this so that they can control the streets. And by the way, we can expect to probably see this again happening um, because it's worked before. And if it works once, they'll do it again until you have to make somebody obey a law or just get rid of the laws altogether that says you can just walk around on the street whenever you want and block traffic. You think it's going to happen this weekend? Well, why not? Uh, you know, if it could be really cold and wet, 
Uh, that could slow them down. But why not? <laughs> they certainly achieved a lot last weekend. Well, I think they're celebrating their, it. yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they consider it a victory. But so few people got arrested. They weren't really disrupted. And, and look how, how long they um, held up traffic. Six hours at one point. Hmm. That's I a- kept searching. Yeah, I searched the a whole bunch of Internet looking for anybody that might have been stuck in that, couldn't get out, ambulance couldn't make it. Did somebody get hurt or die or were they sick or, you know, babies delivered on the side of the highways or something like that? I haven't seen anything like that. But, uh, yeah, no, the protesters don't care about you. The, care, the protesters care about themselves. Mm-hmm. That's what it's about. Maybe they could all get jobs over the weekend and then they'd actually have less free time. All right. You ready? I'm ready. You yeah, oh, I'm gonna be down there. Okay, hang on a second. I'll be down there. Ooh, well, careful there. Okay, hang on. I'll try to find Joe's last thing you sent to me. Look at the music underneath it. You're driving me into. Um, oh, the new car technology. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This thing's all about to debut. The, back, the fact that um, your car will pay for things. It's also going to have the ability to change its change the color. The car is going to be able to change colors. I, I know whenever I, especially I go to rent a car at Hertz or Dollar, I'm always like, do you got the one that will change colors? I don't understand this. But, yeah, the car can change colors, and also it'll be able to pay for things ahead of time. I've seen some interesting things regarding if it's a self-driving car, uh, will you get ticketed? That's for another time. That because it does bring up a whole idea of I, I wasn't driving. Don't come after me. The car was driving. So and um, that'll have to change how think people change when it comes to self-driving cars. But in this case, the technology is coming out there, and people are pretty excited by it. I know you're a big car person, Sherry. So here's part of the car technology. In fact, uh, Como News talks about the innovations that we can see this year. When it comes to that car, because you know me, Sherry, I'm a real car guy, aren't I? Oh, huh? I know. You value your cars. You take good care of them. Your cars Remember when you got are... in the Xterra and oh. uh, you had to kick the dog poop out of the way? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that's that's uh, distant memory. Yes, I do. I do. <laughs> Hard to forget that. <laughs> made made the old banana peel seem more appealing than the dried dog feces that was in the front seat, right? <laughs> Yeah, the dried banana peel, while disturbing, was not uh, nearly as pungent as the uh, as the um, dog dog digestion. (laughs) It's a new year, which means new car technology, and in 2024, where we're going, we won't need credit cards. You just simply drive through, you're paid up. Ed Kim, the president of Auto Pacific, an automotive market and research consulting firm. 55 burgers, 55 fries, 55 tacos. Says this year, car companies could start what? putting technology similar to Apple Pay in their cars. At the drive through you can buy your food almost automatically. You don't even have to pull out your phone or, you know, your watch. In the future, BMW customers may change the color of their car. A year ago, BMW also teased the model for a car that can apparently change colors on demand. There's still a lot of work to be done as far as making it, uh, you know, getting the cost down, making it affordable and making sure that it's durable enough to um, survive in the real world. 
I'm in the driver's seat of this 2024 electric Mercedes, but I'm not driving. One way the future is here this year is with the launch of Mercedes' new self-driving car program. We've seen variations of this with other automakers, but this one will be the first that actually allows you to take your eyes off the road. You could read a book, you can play on your phone, uh, you don't have to be looking forward for the car to drive itself autonomously. I'm Lee Stoll, Como News. So what I want to be doing, reading a book and driving a car. <laughs> Those self-driving cars kind of freak me out. I love the idea, but mm-hmm. I, I, I don't think I could. I mean, is there a way to be the backseat driver and like override what the car is doing on your side? You know, kind of like those old driver's ed things where mm-hmm. they would have control if you did something wrong, they could break or they could do whatever. Do you, yeah, the guy had a steering wheel on the right-hand side. Yeah, yeah that was really cool. Wasn't that car that had the steering wheel? The guy had a steering yeah. wheel, you had a steering wheel. Yeah. yeah. It was much better than when you just had the, you know, mildly overweight guy sitting next to you smelling like, you know, Old Spice and kind of yelling instructions at you. Yeah, I like the double steering wheel guy. I, I'm sure you could put it on nag, um, the nag mode, which is you're in the backseat just nagging the thing to slow down or take different turns or, you know, get to somebody's house earlier or whatever. That's interesting. Do you think you can sit in the back seat, or do you need to be in the front seat in case there's an emergency and you have to spring into action? I think... I don't. I think they wait. I think you got to. I think some people have actually climbed in the back seat. I don't. Yeah, there's there, that cruise service that they just canceled here. Uh, they were doing like Uber in Arizona, and a friend of mine tried it out because he's on the radio there, and he's just sat in the back seat. Yeah. See, there you go. Joe Thanks, Mama. Joe. Okay. Okay. Joe Mama, jump in with that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we don't have any sound of this one, do we? Of the no. stray dogs. I watched this video a while ago. Two stray dogs caused $350,000 worth of damage at a Texas auto dealership. You see the dogs come in. The one dog sort of like, hey, I got an idea. Let's break into the auto dealership. They go into the yard where all the new cars are. And for some reason, the one dog decides, oh, I'm just going to grab hold of the bumper. And the other dog's like, that looks like fun. The two dogs (laughs) tear the whole bumper off the car. Have you seen the video, Sherry? I haven't seen the video, but I couldn't believe that when they said it was $350,000 worth of damage. How many cars did they, how many bumpers did they eat? Well, they just, they, I tore the, they tore the one bumper off, but then they scratched a bunch of other cars as well. And I'm sure they had a couple of gar- cars in there that they knew weren't going to sell, so they included those in the mix. Like the old, you know, insurance oh, fraud sort okay. of thing. Like, eh, eh, scratch that, scratch that one. I was got a lot of miles on. Throw that, that one off. in the pile. Yeah, yeah. Hey, the dog was over here on this one too. No, but when you watch the dogs tear the bumper off, if you're the people that make the car, or if you're the car dealer, you know, and you're really gonna like this baby right here. It's got a, it's got a bumper that you can remove with your teeth. If you're a dog, it's the weirdest thing. Well, I, and, the, and the dogs tear the bumper off, and then they're like, okay, what else can we do? They're running yeah. around looking for something else to chew on. The owners of the shop say that they think the dogs broke in through the fence. They were chasing a cat. Uh-huh. And I always get worried when you see that a dog has done damage because then I'm afraid somebody's doing damage to the dog because they're mad at them. But apparently the the owners of the shop say, no, they turned them over. They're now in a shelter. They have been evaluated. One has been evaluated. And oh, okay. his, yeah, and his name is, um, what, 
says Dasher. That was his oh, name. Mm, and mm. he's fine. He doesn't have aggressive tendencies. <laughs> he said, unless you're a bumper. And um, the other one is still under evaluation. So I think maybe Dasher was following, uh, you know, whoever the other one is. Oh, yeah. Definitely one dog had the idea, and then the other one just went along with it. And then, then they all smoked cigarettes and jumped off the bridge. Right after yeah. they were so inspired by the other dog, this is the dog segment of the show, that ate $4,000 in cash. I, I don't understand. Just a pile of money sitting there, and the dog just decides to go up and just eat the money? It's weird. Cecil is a golden doodle, and he's never gotten into trouble, and his parents were getting a fence built. So they the contractor wanted cash. Why, why so they, do you sound like Cecil's attorney right now, Sherry? <laughs> <laughs> I'm every dog's attorney. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so. That would be a new show. Sherry, dog attorney. <laughs> so he, they left $4,000 cash on the kitchen counter, and when uh-huh. they came down, there was money everywhere strewn about the room, and he had chopped, you know, uh, ripped it all up. Yeah. But that wasn't all. That was only $1,500 that they could find on the floor. So they called the bank, called a uh, couple people, and they said, yeah, if you can piece it together through his, they made a solid choice, and they, they pieced together <laughs> what, was, what was left of the money over the course of a few days, and they ended up getting three uh, $3,500 of it back. And uh-huh. apparently, I guess the, the U.S. printing office says, if you can give them at least half of the bill, mm-hmm. they'll honor it. So the question is, how much money would you have to, what's the amount of money that you're willing to sort of sift through your dog, your dog's, you know, pile? Would you, oh. would you look for 50 bucks? No. Tw- 20 bucks? No. Uh, a thousand? Maybe, yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah. Anything less than a thousand, you're like, Ugh, not worth it. Well, I don't know. I mean, not really. I'd say... <laughs> I mean, maybe. Would you take five hundred? Yeah, maybe five hundred. What what about you? You would you would sift through for what? Uh, twenty thousand. I think I'm doing damage to my digestive system. (laughs) Yeah. Well, my dog is digestively is perfect, so I don't think there'd be a whole lot of problems. All right, Andrew. (laughs) Andrew. I'll tell you what we're gonna do. From now, Andrew has four. Four windbreakers a, a show, and he can use them wherever he wants. But back to back on the double wet Mexican one, you're rationing you <laughs> on that one. You're rationing my flatulence. I right was going to say, don't limit him. That's freedom of speech. Yeah, John, you don't like when people box you in. Okay, fine, Jacob. What do you think? I was surprised <laughs> that people would admit. Okay, never mind. Thanks, Jacob. Sorry, I was busy watching this video of the guy stuck in a pot. It's the weirdest thing. I guess you get drunk or something, you go to a party, and the next thing you're like, I'm going to climb in this big, gigantic, brown-colored vase of some sort, like a flower pot or something. It's like an urn. Like an urn. Okay, here we are. Mm -hmm. I have a question for you before you play this. Uh If you were at that party and you Mm -hmm. saw that guy crawl into the urn... (laughs) Yeah. Well, first, I would knowing, encourage him to get into it. <laughs> knowing that his legs would be bound up. I mean, I, I don't know how tall he is, but the urn isn't that big. The urn might be two feet long or something. So he crammed his b- lower half of his body. Mm-hmm. Would you 
be as sympathetic as some of the people were around him? Uh, well, first of all, if, if in this scenario that you're you're painting, um, I would have been the one that encouraged him to get into it, <laughs> or you would have been the guy in it. <laughs> no, I would have been encouraged. No, I have sort of. You know, I don't. I don't do urns. That's not what I do at parties. Oh, okay. But I would have encouraged him to get in it, and then once he's in it, I would have rolled him around the party. You know, maybe gotten on top of it and and. Uh, you know, moved him with my feet like with yeah. log rolling or something. It'd be yeah. all kind of an act. But in this case, things go sideways. For so he's laying on the ground. He's got a little, he's got a kind of a nice looking, sweet, good looking guy. Um, and all of his friends are around him coming up with different suggestions. I like the fact, well, listen, with one person's like, okay, just try to like it. He's like, I'm trying to get out of this. Uh, he turns on them. What are they doing to take out the water? Because everybody's getting an idea. Oh, oh I, yeah. I, I just watched on YouTube how to get out of an urn. I'm doing everything I'm doing. <laughs> See? There you go. Thank you. My sweater off. Yeah. You got it, Connor. You got it. Cheering him on. Yeah. You got, oh, yeah, that was the girl that, like, was, you know, heading the poster, the poster committee in high school. Yeah. You gotta, oh, you gotta pull your body out. Oh, really? Oh, okay. Oh, I thought I had to just wiggle my ears. God. Apparently, the urn costs yeah. between $3,000 and $5,000. Oh, so eventually they had the to smash it. Here, well, hold on. No. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Decorative element in your house. Uh, yeah. Oh, God. Little some decorative element in the house. I'm not. You're not going to be able to get out. I would have yelled, can anybody play the flute? And maybe you could come out like a snake. Do <laughs> <laughs> we have them breaking it? Did they break it at some point? They do break it. Yeah, they have to. Uh, does it make a lot of fun noise? Let's see at the end here. Uh, hold on. Hold on, Nate. I got a guy stuck in a nerd. That must have already broken it. Yeah, okay. I got my head. Thank you. Thank you, I got my head stuck in a, a toilet seat once, and I got my head stuck in a dollhouse. Huh. Yeah. A and Charlie got, stuff, Charlie got herself head stuck between two rails at a chair at a restaurant. <laughs> Thank you, Father of the Year. Where were you when she was moving around? Didn't you keep her? I was yelling at my friend who kept yelling at the the waitress. They don't have raspberries at this time of the year. And I turned around. Whoa, Charlie! I'm more curious about the toilet seat. I'm more curious about the dollhouse because either a dollhouse <laughs> is really big or it's got a tiny door. I have a tiny head, okay? <laughs> I had a very small skull when I was young. Oh, okay. okay.